Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers. Called to live, commanded to love, commissioned to serve, and if you cannot remember all of that, we have three words. Amen. What are they? Live, love, serve. Live, love, serve. And we thank God on today. I want today for both services to look at the same scripture, but although we're going to flip it next service, that may be an encouragement to stay for both. Um, I wanted this service, though, kind of take it in that TNT format that we had the other, other night. But Luke 6. Luke 6, um, in the New Revised Standard Version, verses 6 through 11, a scene that, that uh, many of us who, who are among the ranks of the church, he know. Luke 6, 6 through 11, here's how it reads. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you on today for how in this moment you have filled this place with your presence. Thank you, God, for worship. We realize it is a gift, but it's also life. It's life in our worship, life in our praise, life in our celebration, oh God, not just of who you are, but God, how you created us to be. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image, and we say thank you for that. God, somebody here today may be suffering from religious trauma, church hurt, we pray, oh God, that through your word and your witness, they will not lose faith in this gathering. God, be with them. Be with us so that we remain true to the calling you've placed of our lives, oh God, the high calling to live, love, and serve. We love you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good. Remain standing. We won't be long this morning. Well, we have, we have communion today, so I'll... I'll well, I'm not even going to say I'm going to be brief. I'll just be. 
Luke, Luke 6, 6 through 11. Here's how it reads. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. No, let me do something. Let me read 1 through 11. I know I didn't say this up top, but I want to give a larger context. So Luke 6, 1 through 11. Let me see if I give him a chance to put on the screen. That's it? Oh, yeah, there it is. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some seeds of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but priests to eat. And gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Amen? Come put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Let me take your seat. I want to. I want to. I want to put a title. I don't always do this. I let the folk upstairs title. But today, I want to talk about rules, relationships, and restoration. Rules, relationships, and um, and restoration. It is hard to deny that Jesus was a bit of a rebel. If you read the gospel narrative, you will find that on more than one occasion, Jesus was rebelling against tradition and practice. It's amazing because it is that part of the Jesus story that often gets lost. We have shaped the Jesus story in ways that fit our assumptions and our agendas but often we don't look closely at the stories of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels to glean the way of the carpenter. We miss sometimes the essence and even the intensity of Jesus' actions. Again, because we often come to Scripture with filtered lenses. We read scripture through the lenses of our traditions, our assumptions, our doctrine, our creeds. And we then read Jesus through those lenses, wanting Jesus' narrative to capitulate to our assumptions. But again, if you read Jesus for who Jesus was and is, there's always a bit of rebelliousness in him. Now, you have to ask yourself if you claim to be a disciple, not just a Christian or a member of some congregation, but if you've made the secondary move, Maybe not the first, but secondary, which is to align yourself with the life of a disciple. 
which means to follow, and you choose to follow the carpenter, it is hard to avoid those moments in your journey where you too may find yourself being a bit of a rebel. Not a rebel for the sake of being countercultural, but a rebel because your awareness and the revelation you receive from God at times run counter to popular belief or practices. I want you to grasp that today, that if you've made that decision to be a disciple, to follow the carpenter, there will be times when in your faithfulness to your call as a disciple when in, and out of your allegiance to the carpenter, you will find yourself being sometimes shunned, scorned, looked at funny, not because something is wrong with you, but because you made the decision to be true to your call as a disciple. You will be viewed at some point in your journey, maybe as a little rebellious. It's amazing how many of us try to sanitize our discipleship, domesticate our discipleship to fit into other standards of behavior, or even fall, find ourselves collapsing into spaces where revelation is not paramount, but manipulation and control seize the day. It happens in churches often. We don't like to say that. We don't like to talk about the coercion that takes place in churches. We don't like to talk about the spiritual manipulation that takes place. We don't like to talk about those things because if we talked about them, it would make us confront the fact that many churches, many institutions that claim to follow the carpenter have actually been the deepest and most committed damages of those who want a deep awareness of God and a connection to the carpenter. I know, again, we don't like to talk about it, but many of us sometimes unaware of the trauma that has been inflicted because of addictions to disconnected rules. Disconnected rules because those rules are not necessarily connected to the move of God or the move of the Spirit of God, but those rules are connected to agendas and also the, the idea of keeping people in order and control. It's a fine line between majesty and manipulation. You have to be careful because on one level, you can be caught up in the majestic maze of spiritual euphoria. And on another level, you can find yourself being manipulated with words and ideas and concepts that reinforce other people's insecurities that manifest in their need to control your life. But if you follow the carpenter, I'm going to say it again, you're going to find yourself being a little rebellious at times. Why? Jesus comes as a manifestation of God's new move. I've said that many times in this place, but I have to continue to repeat it, especially to those who are so dogmatic they don't see the carpenter. That Jesus comes as a manifestation of God's new move. That's why oftentimes the things that Jesus says and the things that he does runs counter to expectations of people who are steeped in tradition. I see it here and encounter here oftentimes with people who come here, maybe they've just started coming to FCBC, but they come with assumptions and sometimes even baggage from previous places, and they then want this place to capitulate to their expectations, yeah. agenda, or even baggage. And what they miss is that in following the carpenter, we're always attuned to the next new move of God, which means that sometimes it puts us out of step with the old former move. Not the old form move of ourselves, but the old form move of God. Now, 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 even right there, when I said that, somebody got a problem with that because they'll say something like this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
The only way you could say that is because you haven't read the story fully. And I don't mean just a story. I mean the, the narrative throughout the Bible. You see a God who shifts, who makes adjustments, who is spiritually agile, who oftentimes finds God's self adapting to the subtle nuances of God's creation. It's all through the scripture. All you got to do is read and open your eyes. Again, not through the lenses of your filtered assumptions, but open to the possibility that what you assume might actually be wrong. And so even in that moment, Jesus comes as God's next new move and God's next new move, what? Clashes with God's former move. What do you mean? God is confused? No. Something is wrong with God? No. God changed God's mind? Well, yes. Now you may hear that again. You may feel offended by that statement, but that's because you ain't read the story. You have not read the countless times in scripture where it says, and God changed God's mind. Yeah, that isn't made up by Pastor Mike. You read it. If you dare, read it. If, if you're courageous enough to read, we will assault your assumptions. And God changed God's mind. Some people even use the language of evolving with God, which is scary for some people because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But you see, evolution is not a bad thing. Growth is not a bad thing. Evolving is not a bad thing. But the problem is you can't conceive of God evolving because you think God is intact from the very beginning. But again, that's not Pastor Mike speaking. This is in the Bible itself where those moments where God was ready to kill Israel. Moses asked God, don't do it. Please, God, don't do it. God said, I'm going to do it. Moses said, don't do it. God said, I'm going to do it. And Moses said, don't do it. And God, and it said, and God changed God's mind. That means that what God had decided was shifted by Moses' attempts to stand in the gap for the people whose ignorance angered God. It's all through the Bible narrative. You see it, those moments of radical rebellion when God's new move clashes with God's former move. Oh man, that sounds strange, but I'm going to show you. Here's God's former move based on the Genesis creation story and based on the law given to Moses of how they ought to practice. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That Sabbath, that day of rest was supposed to be an honor of God resting on the seventh day in the creation narrative. And that idea of Sabbath to rest is all through the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, where it becomes part of the practice of Israel that they remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Keep it set apart, consecrated, distinct, unique. Keep it holy. Don't forget it. And the Sabbath ritual and practice had shaped Israel's life for millennia. It was what they believed. It was what they did. They remembered the Sabbath and they kept it holy. And then there was this one occasion where God's next new move clashed with God's former move and made manifest first in some of the actions of the disciples according to Luke's version in Luke 6 verse 1. Disciples were going through the field and they started picking grain and they rubbed it, which means they were separating the wheat from the chaff and they were eating some of the wheat. It wasn't robbery that was the issue because it was that when anyone was traveling, you could glean from anyone's field. Let me pause for a second. The idea of gleaning, which really has Old Testament roots, is an important one. We don't talk about much anymore. But Israel was directed that when you harvest from your labor, when you harvest the produce, don't harvest everything. Leave some in the field to be gleaning for those who can't, for the poor, for the widows, for the orphans. Always leave something. Don't try to consume it all. Leave something for those who don't have so they can go through. Don't give it to them. Let them feel the dignity in harvesting it themselves. That's all in the scripture. Well, Jesus' disciples are going through the field. They pull some of the wheat. They separate. They rub it. Separate the chaff from the wheat and they eat it. Maybe as a little snack. Maybe they would tie it. So the religious leaders see it. 
And they're like, hold on, what, what, what's, what's, what's going on? You're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. That's breaking the Sabbath ritual, the rule. The rule said that we don't work, we don't do anything. And what your disciples just did, Jesus, violated the Sabbath rule. And Jesus don't get into an argument with them, and I love this, and many people don't like Jesus' way, and Jesus' mechanisms often clash with cultural expectations based on how the church and clergy and people make this journey seem easy by reducing it to certain principles. And so people come to church wanting direction, wanting answers, wanting certainty, but they sure don't want ambiguity, discovery, or journey. And so Jesus don't always give those straight answers. I know it's frustrating because you ask Jesus, what should I do to restore my relationship with my friend? And you want Jesus to say, well, here are the three things you ought to do. Because you want to be able not just to do it, but you want to hold somebody else accountable when it don't work. I did the three things, but it ain't working, so why? But Jesus don't give you that option. Jesus don't give you the three this and the four this and the five principles to this. He don't even use principle language. Seven principles for your breakthrough. Eight principles for your restoration. Four principles to restore your relationship and your marriage. Three principles to get your mind right. Four principles to avoid insanity. <laughs> Jesus don't do that. Jesus do the most annoying thing. Not only does Jesus not give direct answers, he got the audacity to start telling stories. But here, in this case, he don't just tell stories. He goes back to the book that they should know. Oh, when they questioned him about the Sabbath rule and the break of the Sabbath rule, look what he does. He don't start making up stuff. He don't start just going off the top of his head on opinion. He don't freestyle. He just goes to the book that they should know. He said, don't you remember in the time in Samuel when David was on the run from Saul, when Saul wanted to kill David and he and his men were fleeing from Saul and they got hungry because they had no food, they had no provision. They went into the priest's temple. Elimelech, Elimelech was the priest and they asked if there was any food there and Elimelech said, the only food in here is the bread of the presence that is supposed to be holy before God that no one but the priest can consume it and David said let me get it and the priest don't make no argument they don't make no fuss they give David the bread and he and his men eat the bread and guess what God don't get mad Jesus said hold on if you know the story you understand that there are moments when need trumps the rule Oh, man, I hope you get that. If you don't leave here with nothing else today, there are moments when need trumps the rule. When human need trumps addiction to rituals and rules. How insane is it to hold on to the rule and the ritual in the face of human need? In this case, it was hunger. You mean you would bypass the hunger of somebody to be committed to your rule, your regulation, your ritual? To say what? You kept it? You kept the rule, but you dishonored the human being in need. Oh, man, I hope, I hope you heard that. I... And so that was on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, listen, at the end of the day, you know, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In other Gospels, he said that man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for us. In other words, we're not controlled by it. We help shape it, give definition to it. And guess what? The usage of it, the definition of it, the assumption of it can change over time. What? Boy, some scary words to use. I always say when I came here 16 years ago, 16 years ago this July, I said we will never say these, this phrase right here. It's the most dangerous phrase to use in any church that wants to be relevant. It is the most dangerous phrase to use for any movement that wants to be relevant. It's the most dangerous phrase to use. And when you use it, you will then begin the death knell of your own movement, institution, or church. We've always done it that way. 
we've always done it that way? What you really want to say is that you're not open to change and transformation and evolution. You've always done it that way, say, that you're so entrenched in the way it was done, you don't want to be stretched a little bit to do it any differently. And then what does verse 6 says? On another Sabbath, uh-oh, it ain't just one time he tripping. On another Sabbath, he finds himself in the temple again, in the synagogue, teaching, speaking, honoring, observing it. He's observing the Sabbath, but he observes something else. There's a man there whose hand was withered. Come to part two at 11 o'clock, by the way. His hand was withered. I'm not going to talk much about the man today. I'll do that next service. Hint, hint. His hand was withered. It was healthy at one time, but maybe because of disease and age, it shrunk and wrinkled and withered. It, at one point, it had a function, but now it was no longer useful. Oh, Ben, you might be missing this. At one point, it made sense. It had usage, but now it had withered. Maybe, 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 maybe the tradition was withering. Maybe, maybe, maybe the rules were withering away. Maybe, maybe, maybe the rituals started withering and were losing their vitality and their role because the rules became God unto themselves. It was withering. So Jesus sees the man's withering hand in a place with withering rules. And Jesus sees the man and, and the people, the, the religious leaders are standing there waiting. Look at them. They ain't even honoring God in the synagogue. They're busy looking to see what Jesus is going to do. Let me pause here and get churchy for a second. I'm always nervous about folk who's supposed to be worshiping but paying attention to everybody else and what everybody else is doing, what everybody else got on and what they're doing and, and this person doing this and this person got this. No, if you focus on worship and honoring God in this moment, you don't got time to be studying nobody else and investigating, analyzing anybody else. And when you start telling me who did this, I know that you were disconnected from that moment of intense, deep worship because you were busy trying to watch to try to catch somebody and trip somebody up. That's what they were doing. So don't feel bad. If you that person who come in church unfocused and you busy looking at who got on what and who's saying what and who here with who, if you that person, don't, be, don't feel bad. You're just a Pharisee. That's all. You're just a Pharisee. I'm sorry. And I don't mean it the wrong. You're just a Pharisee. You you addicted to the rules and you disconnected from the moment and you're busy watching everything else to see who you could trip up. Who had a dress too short? Who had an outfits that didn't look good? Who was inappropriate in the space? You just a Pharisee. <laughs> And, and so, and so, Jesus stood there, and, and, and here it come, here it come. Jesus hits them with a the question. Here it is, no question for him. He has simple question. He said, on the Sabbath, do you do good or do you do harm? Do you save life or do you destroy it? That's the question he put to them. Do you do good or you do harm? Do you save life or do you destroy it? I know you observe the Sabbath. This ain't about observation. This is about your practice. 
Because when you come here trying to talk about folk, you killing people. Do you do good or do you do harm when you honor God? What are, your, what are you focused on? Do you save life or do you destroy it? He doesn't wait for response. He gives an answer in his practice. Jesus saying, I don't have a problem with the Sabbath. You all have a problem with evolving. I don't have a problem with the Sabbath. You all have a problem with growing. I don't have a problem with the Sabbath. You have a problem with change. You got a problem with change. You don't like change much because change makes you uncomfortable because you find comfort in what you become accustomed to. You don't like change, but then boast that you're a child of God who follows the Holy Spirit, not realizing the dynamism of God's spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus one time, look, it blows where it wills. That's the wind, but that's the spirit. It moves. And if you're in tune with the move of the spirit, that means you're always ready to shift at a moment's notice. Because the spirit don't just stay stuck because you can't move. It's a sad thing when you're stuck in a place that the spirit moved on from. Trying to figure out why you don't feel nothing no more. Get up and move and see what happens. Okay, I'm going to stop. Y'all don't look at me funny. Jesus tells a man, stretch out your hand. That'll be next sermon. And said, the man's hand was restored. Go a little deeper. In the face of human need, Jesus responds to human need. Not rituals that have lost their efficacy. He responds to the person need, just like his disciples were hungry, they ate, breaking the Sabbath rule. Now in the, Sabbath, in the temple honoring Sabbath, Jesus breaks the rule by healing. But maybe he didn't really break it all the way. Let me just add this for my preachers and scholars who are in here today. Maybe, maybe he didn't break it all the way because, because, because the Sabbath was about action, doing things. That's why when they critique the disciples, it was legitimate based on the rules. They were working. They were gleaning. They were harvesting. But I mean, he didn't do anything. But he did everything. What do you mean? He didn't do anything, Kendra. All he did was speak. Speaking didn't break the rules, but it did open new possibility. Oh, man, y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. They didn't even understand. They were waiting for him to do something so they could accuse him of working. He ain't do nothing. He just spoke to the man. Now, now this is deep. It, not only does it open up another possibility, but it shows maybe what he had not been receiving. Who was talking to him? Who was speaking to him based on his condition? Who was giving him words that was seeking to lift him and shift him and change his life? You were observing rituals, but who were you talking to? Who are you talking with? You in church, and you ain't got nothing to say to somebody who's damaged. You in church, but you have nothing to say for people who are broken. Are you so churchified that you forgot what real holiness even means? 
You're so busy trying to maintain the status quo and do what everybody else is doing. You don't even want to be set apart no more. You don't want to be unique anymore. You've lost your holiness trying to fit into places that you weren't designed for. And Jesus said, no, stretch out your hand. Why? Rituals can be damaging if the rituals cause you to be disconnected from God. And the movement of the spirit. This man was in need. He was in need. And Jesus could not be in the place of worship and not speak to this man's need. You think it's enough for you to come on Sunday? But you don't want to volunteer for nothing? You, you think it's okay to show up on Sabbath celebrations but not give your hands to nothing? No. Rules, if you're not careful, will rupture relationship with God. Because you ask yourself, what's more important? Do I open myself up to the possibilities of what God may say to me and how God may lead me? Or do I distance myself from the possibility that God will say anything to me by having a relationship with the rules? I did this, I do this, I keep this, I don't do this, I don't hang with them, I don't go there, I don't do that anymore. I honor the rules. But you forget the relationship. The relationship is what really matters. So what? You can read scripture in three languages. But you forgot to talk to the Lord. So forget you as someone who considers yourself pious. Observing all of the practices of the church. You know all the liturgy to say during communion and during the high holy days, you have all the right words, but your heart hasn't gravitated in the direction of the movement of the Spirit of God. The relationship is withering away, but the rules are intact. Oh, gosh. The rules intact, but the relationship is withering. Well, here's the hope, and I end with this. Hope is on the agenda in the form of restoration. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus in those words to the man was also speaking to the rules addicts in the sanctuary. He told the man to stretch out his hand, but maybe they need to stretch out their minds. Maybe they need to stretch their minds and stop being held captive by old ways of being that you forget the next new move of God. And you miss it. I know, I know you love coming to church on Sundays and it's a wonderful experience, but if you haven't stretched yourself, if you haven't honored the call of God to stretch, expand, to grow, to be deeper, sometimes we in such a hurry to be profound, we forget to be deep. What good is it to have a relationship that doesn't stretch you to be your better and best self? When was the last time you came to church? Like today is a rule, a ritual, a ceremony, a practice, communion. When was the last time you came and you said, God, today, stretch me? 
I'm tired of living in this narrow space. I'm tired of operating with limited possibilities. I'm tired of honoring the rituals. Stretch me. Stretch me, God. Make me broader, more expansive. Stretch me. That's, that's a different kind of prayer. Because I know we love to pray for our needs that we think we can see. But what if your need is to be stretched? You've closed off the possibility. You've relegated yourself to familiar spaces. You are afraid to be stretched. And maybe even right now, God is trying to stretch you to think differently, to act differently, to feel differently. And not randomly, but shaped by love, by need. I know it ain't easy because no one wants to be pulled from their comfort zone. They spend a long time building. But maybe God is not asking you to destroy it. Maybe God is saying, expand it. There's more that may be required of you in this season. How flexible are you? How agile are you spiritually? Do you want to be stretched? Rules have done well for you so far. And I'm not knocking those at all. No critique. Not saying there's something wrong because Jesus was in the synagogue on Sabbath. He was observing the practice. But he believed in the possibility that the practice can get stifling if you don't leave your heart open to the spirit of God and seek to attend to the needs of those who are hurt around you. What good would this movement be if we just lived and loved, but there was no serve, no broadening of our humanity, no expanding of our possibility? That's why when you've experienced change, it manifests itself in how you react and act, respond. You got to want to be stretched today. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the Internet at FCBCNYC.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.